now the prayer for illumination. Lord, we come to your word with humility and reverence. Reveal to us now the mystery of the gospel through the Holy Spirit, and we might understand your will. Lord, may you increase, and may we decrease. Now, please open your Bibles for the Old Testament reading, which will be Psalms 89, 1-8, to 8, uh, pages 597-598. to 598. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth, I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever that you have established your faithfulness in heaven itself. You said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm through all generations. The heavens praise your wonders, Lord, your faithfulness too, in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies above can compare with the Lord? Who is like the Lord among the heavenly beings. In the counsel of the holy ones, God is greatly feared. He is more awesome than all who surround him. Who is like you, Lord, God Almighty? You, Lord Almighty, and your faithfulness surrounds you. This is the word of the Lord. You know, I don't know anything really about music, but I love it when music can evoke an emotional response in us. Uh, That was beautiful. Would you all please open your Bibles to the book of Colossians? Our New Testament passage is taken from Colossians chapter 1 and 2. um, Page 1182 and 1183 in your pew Bible. And um, the bulletin mentions just a few verses, but we're going to go ahead and read from uh, chapter 1 verse 24 all the way through to chapter 2 verse 5. Uh, And then we'll discuss what Paul's written. So let's go ahead and begin in Colossians 1, verse 24. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions, for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea, for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and unified in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom all hidden are the treasures of wisdom and knowledge." I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments, for though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. This, too, is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
So we're in the midst of this series on who Jesus is, on Christology, right? Defining who Jesus is. And, and this morning we get to talk about mystery. You know, and, and, and one of the interesting things about this is as we read through the New Testament, we see that Paul uses this word sort of a lot when talking about the mystery of the gospel. It's all over the New Testament. But as we read here, this mystery is not really a mystery at all because it's been revealed in Jesus. You know, I really like the word mystery, especially when it comes to our faith. Uh, because there's so many mysteries in this life, aren't there? And, and even more when it comes to God and, and his role in our life. You know, we read scripture, we find ourselves wondering things on every page. Lots of little questions we want the answers to. Sometimes we find them and sometimes we don't. But there is one big question that many of us have and that God makes sure we all have the answer to. And what's amazing about mystery, and I think this is why Paul uses it so much, is it's not just for us Christians, but the entire world loves mysteries, don't they? The world gets obsessed about what happens. I mean, just think about that plane that disappeared a few years ago, flying over the Indian Ocean, and, and, and people were just, there's no way a plane can just disappear. And people searched and spent thousands and thousands and millions of dollars trying to find out what happened. We also love mysteries outside of anomalies like that. We also love mysteries of good stories like Sherlock Holmes, world famous, good movies where we don't know what's going to happen till the very end. Some of you are so impatient when you read a book, you have to go to the end first to find out what happens and then you go through and read the story. You know, we love stories that sort of wrap up at the end, that have a nice little bow at the end where we, we're, we're left in suspense and there's mystery, but then at the end we sort of, oh, okay, it's going to be okay. You know, this is why I think Netflix has become so popular. You know, we don't have to wait. I remember, and, and some of the teenagers will be confused by what I mean by this, but when you actually had to wait a week or longer for the next show or, or the next thing to come out, and you sort of, you're left hanging on the edge, what's going to happen? This is why Netflix is so popular. You know, you finish an episode and it ends in suspense, you just hit, click, let's keep going. Let's keep going, let's keep going. And then before you know it, it's two in the morning and, and it's just a mess, but... We don't like to wait. We like mysteries, but we like to know the answer. And we want to have it resolved. We want to have it nice and neat and tidy. Yet further proof, if we needed any more, that we are an impetuous and impatient people. Further proof, if we needed any more, that we love to be in control. Further proof that even though we desire control, we want to know the secret to life and know what is going to happen. Oftentimes we act like complete fools. Because according to the Apostle Paul in the book of Colossians, we in fact already know what will happen. The mystery of life, the secret to life, has indeed already been revealed to the world. That God has revealed to us the mystery of who he is in the person of Jesus Christ. We don't have to wait until the end to know what's going to happen. You know, I often talk about the Christian life as a story. We know the end of our story. What matters is just what we're doing to get to the end. And so let's look then at what the Apostle Paul says to the Colossian church with regards to this mystery and what we might learn from it. Starting in verse 25, Andy mentioned this last week. 
that Christ is fullness, that Christ is the one thing that will be our fullness, that we desire all of these other things to fill us, but that Christ is the one thing that can and will fill our hearts. And this is the very reason the Apostle Paul finds himself laboring so diligently for the church. That they would know that fullness only comes from Christ. And then in verse 26, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. That not only are we made full in Christ, but through Christ's life, death, resurrection, and ascension, we can be reconciled with God. That God's plan through Jesus Christ was made known to the Gentiles, that is, the entire peoples of earth. And the big mystery has been revealed. In the end, Paul says very clearly what Jesus also taught, that God will be in control, that God will take those whom are his children, and that the earth will go the way it has been set since sin first entered it. This is the big mystery revealed. The mystery needed to be revealed because we are scared. I don't know how often you think about your sin. I don't know how often you think about the stupid things you do. And I hope that's not a presumption that you do stupid things because I do stupid things. My friends do stupid things. I work with the youth. They do stupid things. Love you guys. I don't know how often you think about the things you do. I don't know how often you think about your sin, but really, what is the response of sin? It is fear. What did Adam and Eve do after their sin and separation from God? They hid because they were afraid. And the reason we're so obsessed about what's going to happen to us is that we are afraid that we might end up getting what we actually deserve. And the mystery that God reveals through Christ is that we won't. The same way Adam and Eve were scared in their sin is exactly how we feel sometimes, isn't it? What will our actions actually lead us to? What will our choices lead us to? The things we've said and done over the years? And left to our own doubt and our own heart of hearts, if you're anything like me, sometimes you're fearful that this mystery is not true. But praise be to God that not only Jesus and the Apostle Paul and as Mario talked about, the martyrs throughout the last 2,000 years have shown us that the mystery has indeed been revealed. And in verse 27 and 28, we see why the Apostle Paul says that to them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches, which is the hope of glory, Christ in us. And that this mystery will not only be revealed at the end times, but that we have a hope now that reveals this mystery to the people in our lives around us. And he continues on to the letter to the Colossians and tells them exactly in detail. Look at chapter 2, verse 4. He says, I tell you this so that you may not be, so that no one may be deceived by fine-sounding arguments. This was a big fear of the Apostle Paul's. We look through the New Testament and he talks about this to the Ephesian church. The writer of Hebrews, whomever it was, talks about it to the Hebrew people. Paul talks about it in his goodbye to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20 and 21. He says, hey listen, I'm going to leave, but there are going to be wolves who come in among you and try to lead you away with false arguments. 
We need to know this mystery has been fulfilled in Christ, our reconciliation to God, that we do not need to be in fear so that we are not set aside and tossed astray by fine-sounding arguments. Because I don't know if you've noticed in the world today, but there's a lot of people who are claiming to have absolute truth today. (laughs) And there's a lot of people who now, because of a cell phone and Google and Wikipedia, have access to tons of information and have all the right facts. And I am guilty of it. When someone says something I don't think is true, I'm like, no, that's not right. Actually, the number is, no, okay. But this is what we do, right? In this age, we all want to know the truth, and we have the truth, and we have it right here, and we want to know it now, and we want to make sure everyone else knows it. And then we have this whole thing, which is even crazier to me. Have you guys heard of this this term called post-truth? Post-truth is awesome. Post-truth is what happens when we look at the political spectrum in the world, especially the West. It's where we rely heavily on emotional manipulation to disconnect people from truth. We're just going to emotionally appeal to a whole group of people, regardless of the facts, and just get them on our side so that we can all be on the same side and we can all just feel better. And as an American, (laughs) I I think all you have to do is just look at our, our political situation. No one actually stands for anything anymore. No, we're just against what you stand for. Don't worry about what I believe, because that's my business, but I'm just going to be against what you believe. This is what we call post-truth. Manipulating other people's emotions and feelings so that we can disconnect them from facts and just all feel good about what we believe to be true. How can we as Christians live in a world like this where everyone claims to have empirical evidence that that the Bible is nonsense and everyone claims to be right about their feelings and thoughts and we can rely on something that to the world is a mystery? How can we rely on Jesus with our very life and death if the world says that it's foolish? Think about it. It's not so much anymore about what one believes, but about making the person on the other side look foolish. Why? Because we want a tribe, we want a team, we want to find people who look like us, who think like us, who act like us. Why? Because we're afraid. Because we are afraid that we might actually get what we deserve, and if we surround ourselves with people who believe what we believe and think like we think, then we think that there's no way that bad things could happen to all of us. There's no way we can all be wrong. I jokingly said to one of my youth leaders this morning, it's not a lie if you believe it. That's what the world thinks. And why? Because people are looking for what Jesus offered, which was rest. The world wants safety. The world wants rest. And they're afraid of what might happen if they're wrong. So we surround ourselves with people who say we're right. And we ignore this fear in the back of our head about sin, about the choices we've made, and just sort of ignore them and push them back and say, well, those don't ever have to come up again. I got to tell you, church, and confess here, I really want rest. There is so much uncertainty in this world. There is so much violence. There is so much pain. There is so much suffering. I mean, we see it in the news. We know what's happening around the world. And I want rest. I am so tired. And I understand why people do this. But as we think about it, and we want our fear to go away, the things that keep us up at night, and we want to feel confident about our choices, to feel confident in this mystery of Jesus Christ, 
we have to know that we must first repent of our sin and that then Christ will forgive us and there we will find rest. But yet the world has seen fit to put Jesus in the same category as dragons and Bigfoot and the Loch Ness Monster, a myth, a mystery, maybe some sort of truth somewhere, but really Jesus wasn't who he said he was. And sometimes as a pastor, I feel like this is invading the church. I feel like more and more people are making their own version of Christianity. More and more people are reading the Bible and saying, well, I don't really like that part. So I'm just going to focus on the sayings of Jesus. Right? I don't really like the whole book of Joshua and the, the, the whole promised land thing where God says to go and kill these people. So I'm just going to focus on the Jesus said, love your, love your neighbor. That's the part I'm going to worship. I feel like more and more people are making their own tribes and their own teams inside of the church or inside of what they think is Christianity and following Jesus. They're changing the rules just to feel better about themselves and their own choices so they don't have to be so afraid. They're making their own belief system out of the Bible, but really it's just about them and their own desires. Church, I want you to hear this and I want you to know this. The mystery that has been revealed in Christ is fullness in Christ, the hope of glory for all eternity, but it only comes through repentance and submission to God. In the name of Jesus Christ, he will forgive you and he loves you, but you cannot do it without repentance. You cannot take the rules and bend them to your will, and you cannot, like the world is trying to do, make everything fit nicely into a box. This is the mystery of the gospel. Because if you look at what the Apostle Paul says, to the church in verse two, he says, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. This is how we fulfill this mystery of Christ. It's through unity and not division. He says, I want them to be one. This is Paul's sort of big thesis of the New Testament through all of his letters. I want you to be unified. I don't want you to make separate teams. I don't want you to, 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 to divide in all these little ways. I want you to be one as Christ prayed in John 17 that he and the Father are one. And the world is creating deeper gulfs. Politicians are creating deeper chasms that cannot be crossed and drawing harder lines. But that is not the way of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and outside of politics, let's just look at the church. Are we united? Are we doing all we can? I don't just mean this church, I mean the church. Are we doing all we can to love and support and build one another up? You say, well, Sam, we're all so different. (laughs) I mean, just look inside these walls. How many countries are represented? How many different languages? How many different traditions? And I'll be honest with you, sometimes those people bother me. (laughs) Sometimes those people are too loud, Americans. But the one thing that unifies us all is our need for Jesus, isn't it? The one thing that brings us all together across all cultures, across all tradition, is that you are a sinner and so am I. That you screw up and so do I. And unless repentance is the first step, we cannot as a church be unified in the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the one thing that unites every person in this world. That is the one thing that brings love to every person in this world. And that is the one thing that brings forgiveness and healing to the divisions of this world. Stop and consider that. 
that our repentance gives us rest. It's a lesson we all learn the first time as a young child we get caught lying. And it weighs on us and it eats at us and then we finally get caught and then it finally comes out and then we realize, oh, I feel free. That is what Christ offers. That is why as a church we focus on discipleship and the 10 o'clock hour adult education and home groups so that on Sunday is not just the only time we are unified as a church, but you are unified with the body of Christ, communally repenting and finding forgiveness and grace all during your week, every day. That is why we rely on each other. Why would we not run to Jesus? Why would we not lean into this mystery that the world considers foolishness, but we don't care because it is the only way we have found freedom? And if that weren't enough, if just the forgiveness weren't enough, the Apostle Paul goes on to say in verse 3 that when we do that, then we will have actual understanding. We will have actual wisdom. We will have more than just what the, you know, the Google machine can give us. We will actually begin to understand this world and know things that change this place and know things that make a difference in this world. Instead of just being against what the person across from us believes, we will actually believe something. And that is what matters. People want truth and knowledge above all things in this world, but they are looking at the wrong spot. They are turning away from Christ, who is in fact the source of all truth and knowledge. The world thinks in opposition to Christ, when in reality, Christ is the one thing that brings us to true knowledge and wisdom and understanding. You know, Paul wrote about this in the book of 1 Corinthians. I'm going to read it to you, but if you want, you can look it up later. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And I just love this passage. This actually was the theme of last year's Youth Sunday, if you remember. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1 starts in verse 18. He says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent. I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, Christ, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. The world considers you an absolute fool for believing in this myth of Jesus, believing in this mystery of the gospel. The world does not understand, but we do. That God has revealed to us true wisdom found in repentance of sins and trust in Jesus Christ. That is the mystery of Jesus Christ. Paul gives similar instructions, as I said, to the Ephesian church. If you want to do some more reading this week, read Ephesians 4. He says the exact same thing in different words to the church in Ephesus. And the amazing thing to me when we talk about who is Jesus... This is how God chose to show us his love and his mercy so that not one of us may boast because we all need the same forgiveness. We all need the same grace. We all need Jesus to be the source of all of our knowledge, all of our wisdom, all of your ability to be successful in work, all of your ability to lead your family, all of your ability to do anything must come through the power of Jesus Christ. Why do we think we can figure this out on our own? That's why I put this quote at the top of our bulletin. 
from John Calvin. You may have noticed it. Man, with all of his shrewdness, is as stupid about understanding by himself the mysteries of God as a donkey is incapable of understanding musical harmony. We are not on our own, church. Look around this room. Look around this city. Look around this world. The church is everywhere. We're going to hear about it after, after the service today. The church is everywhere, even in places where we don't think it is, even in places that seem war-torn. There are Christians meeting and worshiping in the name of Jesus. And so do we. Maybe the real mystery is why in the world do we still trust in the things that are not from Jesus after they let us down over and over and over again. Maybe the real mystery is why in the world do I put my faith in myself or in the things of this world that are temporal and will one day be washed away? Why in the world do we trust in ourselves when we look back and we see where our desires have led us? But if we trust in Christ, the mystery he revealed in repentance and the forgiveness of sins reconciliation and fullness, as Andy talked about last week, and the revelation of God as the mystery of Jesus Christ revealed in unity. That we as a church, and not just our church, but the church, will gain wisdom and knowledge through the Spirit of God. We do not have to fear what will happen at the end of this story, brothers and sisters. We know what's going to happen at the end of this story. The question is, why are we waiting to run to Jesus? Now, would you please pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for the revelation of this mystery. We thank you for the revelation that you have indeed offered and given us forgiveness of sin. Lord, and here we have repented already this morning, but here we are repenting again, Lord, because we know that we cannot repent enough. Lord, we know that we fall woefully short. And Lord, we also know that your love and your grace is so much more than we can ever comprehend. Like the father in the story of the prodigal son, there you are waiting for us to come home each and every day. Lord, let us rest in you for the remainder of this worship service. Let us rest in your arms as the son rested in the arms of the forgiving father. And let us prepare our hearts to come to the table of communion resting in your grace, knowing that there is nothing that divides any of us in this room that we might boast, but that we are unified through our need for you, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.